James chapter 3, verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man or a mature man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Behold the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. May the Lord bless both the reading and the hearing of his precious word uh, to our hearts and minds. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the measure of health that we possess. We're grateful for the portion of this world's goods which you have entrusted to us. It's far easier for us to give our money to thee than it is for us to give our lives totally into your control. And yet this morning, that's exactly what we pray for, that we might yield ourselves over to you and that the Holy Spirit himself might convict us of sin and might also show us the path to righteousness through our Lord Jesus Christ and by the inspiration of his power lead us to higher ground. We've said the word so many times that it's hard for us really to get away from the familiarity of them. But this morning when we look at our lesson, we want to pray with all our hearts the words of the psalmist. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. For Jesus' sake, 
Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Thank you, Bill. I'm not very well organized this morning. I went off and left my robe back there. I thought something was funny when I <laughs> it came out a while ago. Uh, got a great poem for you. I lost a little word just the other day. It was a naughty word I had not meant to say. But then it was not really lost when from my lips it flew. My little brother picked it up and now he says it too. <laughs> we got our grandchildren at the house. And uh, these little things come in your mind. Uh, we have been studying through James. And James is not impressed with words unless those words are used to the glory of God. In the book of James, he has been teaching, and remember this is James, the brother of our Lord, the one who had heard those matchless golden words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the one who had heard Jesus say, By thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. The one who had for more than 30 years been the pastor and the preacher and the teacher and the overseer in Jerusalem amongst a group of Christians who suffered for their faith. And it's this James who speaks. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, for you know that we who teach shall be judged with greater strictness. He includes himself in this, that we who teach shall be judged with greater strictness. For we all make many mistakes, and if anyone makes no mistake in what he says, he is a perfect or a mature or a complete man, able to bridle the whole body also. What James has been saying to us is that faith without works is dead and that this includes the control of our tongue and that it has to be surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And he wants us to understand that those of us, you know, this I was thinking about the idea of Christian education. This is the worst possible way to recruit preachers. Howard Hall would be a good preacher as well as a good doctor. And uh, yet James is saying right here, uh, let not many of you become teachers or preachers because you're going to be judged with stricter judgment if you're teaching other people. For you know that you'll be judged with uh, greater strictness. And then he goes on to say, we all make mistakes. He must have seen these mistakes made in the congregation there. And if you go through the, New Te the Old Testament as well, you'll see in Genesis 3, the first sin uh, comes about as a result of lying. And then as you follow on through, uh, and you look into the Psalms, you'll find David in Psalm 39 praying uh, that his mouth might be muzzled. 
You'll find in Isaiah, in the prophets, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up, and his, and his throne filled the temple. And even in that matchless holy atmosphere there, James, uh, Isaiah, calls out to God, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Woe is me, for I am undone. And there has to come a coal from off the altar. And an altar is a place of sacrifice. And Isaiah, I think, is anticipating that hundreds of years later, there will be an altar at Calvary that will provide cleansing for those of us of, an unclean, of unclean lips and an unclean tongue and who are undone. And he wants us to know the seriousness of it. And then, of course, when Jesus comes, he brings his teaching along the same line. I looked in uh, Matthew 12 at Jesus' teaching when he was accused of doing his works because he was in league with the devil by the Pharisees. They were angry with Jesus. Therefore, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, that is himself, Jesus Christ, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever shall speak against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and sow its fruit good, or make the tree rotten and its fruit rotten, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, and he is speaking to religious leaders, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good. The evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. And I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render an account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. This is a terribly solemn and serious thing to take up. When you look in the family, I had a woman once 25 years ago, so none of you know uh, who it was. The people are all dead who are concerned now on both sides, but we had a person who was being put up for a deacon. Years and years before, during World War II, he had, before he had ever become a Christian, he had been married and had gone through a divorce. And a woman came to me who was very strict in her piety and wanted to oppose the idea that this man should have been put up as a deacon in the church. Her husband had also served as a deacon, and the reason was that he had been divorced. We talked for a while about it. We looked over in 1 Timothy at some of the things that Paul said. And one of the things he said about a deacon was that his wife shouldn't be a gossip. And so we talked about that a little while. 
she went away and withdrew her objection. And the man uh, uh, served very creditably. Uh, the, uh, the family relationship in the church can be broken by that. And, and I had another man who came to me, an elder, not in this church here at all, but one in Florida. He wished to resign from the session of the church because he said, I cannot keep my family in control. And I am told in the Bible that an elder of the church should keep his family in control, and I can't control my family. He had a wild kid in high school, and he was having difficulty with him. He said, I'm not a good example to the flock. What do I do? Now, what do you do about thorny issues like this when you get it? Uh, there are things that come up here. Well, Jesus is speaking about these things because all of them become the grist for the gossip mill. And James wants us to know that the tongue has to be controlled, and he puts it right in there with the care for the needy and right in there with the uh, demand for personal holiness on our part. And he wants us to understand it. And you know, really, when you think of this and the power of words for good or ill, those of us who went through watching, I didn't go through the battles like some of you did here in World War II, but I've seen them on pictures, and I was a teenager in school at that time, and I can remember it very well. Do you know what started all of that Holocaust that meant the destruction of millions and millions and millions and millions of people. Adolf Hitler's tremendous power of oratory. He could speak and incite an entire nation into utter contempt and hatred so that men, women, and children would be burned in furnaces so that soap would be made out of the fat from their bodies. The hair from their head would be used to stuff German pillows. And many people thought that was all right in Germany, all because of the diabolical power that that man was capable of with speech across the English Channel. There was another man whose name was Winston Churchill. And by the power of oratory and words, he was able to take a weak nation that could have been easily overrun by Germany. He was able to say, we will fight them on the battlefield. We will fight them on the beaches. We will fight them on the sea. We will fight them on the air. We will fight them so that a thousand years from now, people will look back and say of this people, this was their finest hour. And about all that could hold Great Britain together at that time was the powerful oratory of Winston Churchill. So words can be capable of good, and words can be capable of evil. Last week, I took some words from a great Bible scholar who went through the scriptures and just simply combed out these words. The Bible refers directly or, or indirectly to a wicked tongue, 
a deceitful tongue, a lying tongue, a perverse tongue, a filthy tongue, a, correct, a corrupt tongue, a bitter tongue, an angry tongue, a crafty tongue, a flattering tongue, a slanderous tongue, a gossiping tongue, a backbiting tongue, a blaspheming tongue, a foolish tongue, a boasting tongue, a complaining tongue, a cursing tongue, a sensual tongue, a vile tongue, a tail-bearing tongue, a whispering tongue. And then he asked the question, did you see yourself anywhere in there? And then, as I read last week, and you'll remember it, he said, no wonder God put the tongue in a cage behind your teeth and walled it in by your mouth. Well, I call the sermon the monster in my mouth because of its capacity for good or ill. And uh, we are called here by James to remember this, and he's going to do it by showing you some examples. We stumble in many ways. If one does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature man. He's growing up. He is able to bridle the whole body as well. And then he talks, now if we put bits into the horses' mouths so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. I grew up out in Texas, and this time of the year is the rodeo season will begin. And I used to love to go to a rodeo and to watch a powerful animal be ridden who was wild and strong. I have known cowboys, the real McCoy, the ones who've been through it. I remember one who was real old, and I talked to him one day, and I was looking at his hands, and they were gnarled like this, and I thought it was arthritis. He turned his hands over, and they were that way because the halter, he had broken horses as a young man. He worked in the place where you go to uh, break the horses and get them so that you, first of all, you put a halter. You don't put a bit in their mouth. You can't get it on there. You have a halter that you can hold their head up with. And that thing, that horse has a powerful neck. That neck is full of muscle. And when he pulls that neck and that's pulled through your hand, it burns the inside of your hand. You can have the best gloves you can get on there and it'll burn through. And that man's hands were gnarled from breaking horses where they'd pulled with that powerful neck. But after you get him to where you can ride him with a halter, then you get him to where you can put four to six ounces of metal in his mouth. Then you get that bit in place and get it over his, get it there where his tongue is and you can do some controlling with him. He weigh, may weigh 1,500 or 2,000 pounds, but you can control him. In the day in which James lived, you saw things like you would have seen in, in Ben-Hur. You see those tremendous horses that pull chariots, and yet they're controlled because of the bit that's in that horse's mouth. And James knew that. And James is saying here that Christian fellowship can be destroyed if the tongue is not under control. I've gone to churches a lot bigger than this and then come back two or three years later or next year 
and see just a scraggling group of people there and you ask what happened. Well, gossip got started about this or that. So-and-so split and went this way and they split and went that way. I've got to give the Baptist credit. Usually when they split, you get two healthy churches, but the Presbyterians split and one of them dies out and then the other one dies out. And uh, I've gotten older and more philosophical about this. The old nature, the old Adam is still there and it's hard to control and you're going to run into it as time uh, goes on. And whenever you get a church fight, the devil just goes fishing because they can handle it all themselves. They can do it. And uh, so James wants to know that, that that tongue has to be under control by the Holy Spirit. If we put bits into the horse's mouth so that they may obey us, we direct their body as well. Behold the ships also, that though they are so great, and are driven by powerful, strong winds. You remember that storm that Paul was in in the book of Acts? There were 260 or more people on board that particular ship that Paul was in when it got into that great, powerful storm. And, there were, and that was just a small trade ship. There are other ships of that day that had as many as 600 people that could be on board that ship. Behold, the ships also, though they are so great, are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Who is the... He's talking about the smallness of the tongue and yet the power of the tongue for good or evil and how it must be under control. And he uses the example of these big vessels. And now we have these huge aircraft that are controlled that way. I can still remember, and I, uh, I know Bob Glasgow is a jet pilot from the Marine Corps. If, if you ever have seen one of those 15 tons, and I've ridden in that 15-ton Phantom F-4C, and that thing's an antique now, that's 20-something years ago. Uh, but you got an airplane going 1,640 miles an hour with that capability, and then you come and land it on board an aircraft carrier. Can you imagine putting that thing down on a, like that? And yet, it is so responsive when it goes up to six or eight miles in the air, that pilot, if he just takes that stick and just touches it, it goes it's out of sight. It moves. But that power is under control. And that makes the big difference. And that's what we want to keep in our minds. We must get this under control. We're studying Colossians in prayer meeting. And I called all the way to Labrador one time to Goose Air Force Base to talk to a major with whom I had flown in a uh, F-102 because I wanted to get correct from him what had transpired when the airplane in which we were flying got caught in a, a whiteout in a snowstorm. And we had to be directed in to land when you couldn't see. And I can still remember that man, our code name was Hotel Lima 24. And I can still remember him calling the tower. And he said, Goose Radar, this is Hotel Lima 24. 
The man said, I'm vectoring you with a positive radar contact. And uh, then he finally told him, stand by for your final controller. Then when the final controller came on, he said the words that stuck in my mind as vividly, I can close my eyes right now and hear them. He said, Hotel Lima 24, this is your final controller. Do not acknowledge any further transmission. That means get serious. You got to listen to me. If you're going to the right of your glide path too far or to the left of it too far, what your speed is, what your altitude is, where you are, and you obey that man. He is controlling you. And that's what we need to get this tongue under control. Our final controller is the Lord. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, says James. And yet it boasts of great things. And behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a fire. The other day, Bill Griffin took me with him to my favorite, favorite, favorite brim lake that I can just barely, barely get into once in a while. And uh, we went fishing. And he looked up on the hillside and he said, there's a forest fire up there. And then uh, he said, I don't know how it started. And then finally a helicopter came in. And then they came down close to where we are, were in a little old 14-foot boat with a nine-horsepower motor on it. And I don't know why in the world the forest ranger came over and said, fishermen, fishermen, stand back. Don't interfere with the helicopter. I didn't have any intention of interfering <laughs> with, with, with the helicopter. There was a fire up there, and he was picking to dip some water out with a huge thing bigger than a cement mixer. Then he was one of those huge things that they can lift water up and take it and dump it on the fire. And it was... We've watched it all take place. But now that started from a very small thing. And that's what James is saying here. The tongue is a fire. I don't have to worry if I throw this water on the floor over there, it isn't going to do anything. But if that was fire and you pitched it over there, you can burn everything down. You can get something started. And he said the tongue is not like water, it's like fire. I can't start a flood very easy. Sure can't now. But here is a fire. The tongue is a fire. It can burn out thousands of acres. It can destroy lives. It can destroy homes. It can destroy reputations and ministries. It can destroy more than anyone realize, realizes. The tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. That's a tough word. And that word there for hell is the word that Jesus uses. That's Gehenna. That was the smoking refuse place. They had trouble getting rid of garbage back then. And uh, here, this was the place outside of Jerusalem where it was continually burning. This vile, awful stuff was being burned that was brought outside the city. And Jesus said, 
Hell is like that. It's like a fire that never, never goes out. And James says the tongue can be set on fire by hell to do all kinds of evil and to hurt all kinds of people. And he wants us to be beware of that. I remember once as a young boy in East Texas going to a home in a little church. By the way, that little town is where Billy Sims, I, I reckon everything from football, the football player came from that town. And uh, there was a pastor there who told one of the saddest things I'd heard in a long time. Texarkana wasn't far away, maybe 20 miles and 150 miles from Texarkana was Little Rock. And a man in that community had his wife had cancer and he had taken her to Little Rock for treatment. He was worried sick about her and he came down from the hotel that he was staying, went into the coffee shop and there was another lady from the same town who had been there for another purpose and had gone into the same hotel coffee shop. They came out of the hotel coffee shop together and another woman from that city saw the two of them come out the door of the coffee shop of the hotel together and assumed that they had been staying there and came back to the town and got a gossip going that just devastated a family and did more harm. That's what he's talking about here. It's set on fire of hell. It can be so evil and that we have to be so careful about what we say, and he wants this to stick in our minds. You ever buy anything in a fire sale? I talked to a man <laughs> the other day. I heard someone tell him about buying a $9 sport coat in a fire sale, and he thought he had really gotten him a bargain, but he said it smelled like smoke. <laughs> he said he got so sick of it, he didn't even want to look at it uh, because it had that sm smell about it. Well, well, you don't want to smell like Gehenna, I'll put it that way. Uh, that's the way the conversation can be. And that's the way it can go. And James wants to bring that out so that we will keep that in our mind. Uh, and that we'll uh, not sin against God by destroying and hurting in this evil way. For every species of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. You got Flipper, you got Lassie, you got um, Shamu, the whale, all kinds of things that can be done. Every species of beasts, birds, or reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison, like a snake. A snake has fangs in back of his tongue so that he can hook them in you and poison your whole body. And James wants us to be careful for that. We, with it, we bless our Lord and our Father. With it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. 
Does a fountain send forth out of the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Try to mix fresh and bitter water together and see what it tastes like. The bitter taste is what wins out. And that's what he wants to help us to see. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. What he is saying here is what comes back to the words of Jesus. You know, nowadays when they arrest you, they've got to read your rights to you. What you say can and will be used against you deal. And that's what Jesus is trying to, what he is getting across to us and what he says there and what we want to keep in our minds here. When I think of these things, I've tried to, try to get through by saying something positive. The tongue is not only used in vicious ways, but there are other things that can be done. We can speak only gracious words. We can speak only kind words. We can speak loving words. We can speak true words. We can speak thoughtful words. We can speak holy words. We can speak sensitive words, gentle words, comforting words, words of blessing, words of humility, words of wisdom, words of thanksgiving, unselfish words, and peaceful words. I talked to a sweet Christian lady yesterday. We were talking about this passage of scripture. And she told me about writing something to teach children about gossiping. And I thought it was so good that I brought it with me here. Gossip is talking negatively about someone, repeating rumors or information about a person that is not helpful or necessary for others to know. People created for fellowship with God and with one another have been blessed by God with the ability to relate through a special ability, the ability to speak. But what have we done with this ability? The Bible tells us the truth. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Gossip is an evil. It's an evil use of our ability to speak Gossip can be subtle, such as the critical remark about someone passing on the street, the unnecessary reference to what someone did wrong, or the mention of another's fault. Gossip is repeating what we have no right to repeat. It's sharing information that causes others to laugh at someone behind his back, or that belittles him in the eyes of others. Very often the information used has not been verified or its context understood. And then Proverbs 18 is quoted, any story sounds true until someone tells the other side and sets the record straight. We should not say anything that is hurtful to the person talked about or that we wouldn't want said about ourselves. Gossip is a hideous thing because it tears people down in the eyes of others. It's the opposite of God's will for us which is to encourage one another and to build one another up. 
Though gossip is talking about someone else, it's actually a reflection on ourselves. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. From their earliest years, children should be taught to see the good in others and to use their ability to speak in a way that will please God and bless others. Parent, check yourself. Make it a habit to ask yourself the following questions. Would I want this said about me? What are my motives for telling someone else this? Will what I'm about to say build the person up in the eyes of the person I'm telling it. Anytime the phone rings and you say, tell them I'm not at home, and a little child is there, you're a teacher. You're teaching them to lie. And what this says is that every one of us need to come to God for forgiveness. And having received that forgiveness, we need to practice bringing it under control. And the person who told me that yesterday said that for 30 days, once she disciplined herself by placing the tip of her tongue against the inside of her teeth, to try to maintain silence in an effort to control that tongue by the Holy Spirit for the purposes of doing good. I talked to a boy who went into a Trappist monastery. Now, the Trappist practiced silence. He was seeking to learn from their wisdom. Well, we can ask the Holy Spirit and he will bring to us what we need, which is forgiveness and cleansing and control, all of us. And I certainly include myself, need this. And all of us can help one another with it. In prayer, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we give you that invitation. You may speak to any of the officers of the church. My beloved colleague, Bill Wing, will be here at the front to speak with anyone after the service. I'll be at the back to greet. Let's pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, you have spoken to us, and you have spoken to the whole world through thy holy and life-giving word. Now help us to know the time to keep silence and the time to speak so that we may speak a good word when it needs to be said. Give us the ability to control our tongues, that unruly member within us, so that our speech may truly be seasoned with grace. By the power of thy Holy Spirit, put words into our mouth that are right and good, pleasant, sweet to the soul, health to the bones, words that are fitly spoken like apples of gold and pictures of silver, that they may give strength to the weak.
that they may comfort the weary, that they may build up and encourage. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the teaching power of the Holy Spirit follow us and guide us and lead us into the truth and to do the truth for Jesus' sake.